Good evening and welcome to Sunday night's message, Sunday the 27th. Um, the Bible reading tonight comes from Romans 5, 5 through to 11. And it talks about the results of justification, but tonight's message has been titled The Book, The Man, The Message. It was actually a, um, a message that I put together a long time ago. I preached it at Wagga, but it was also the thesis uh, that I put together for my masters that I've done. And in saying that, uh, that actually came from a man called James Smith, who uh, does a lot of evangelistic work in London, England, uh, a lot to do with Muslims and Islam. And you'll see how uh, pretty much every religion has a book. It has a man and it has a message, but what makes the Bible unique, what makes Jesus Christ unique and what makes his message unique is that it was inspired, planned and executed by God himself. So we'll start with Romans 5 through to 11. And it reads, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that shows us these things. Thank you that you have made it simple that we may understand that we are all sinners and all need a saviour. We see your word, the book, the Bible, written and given to man. We see Jesus Christ, who was not only a man, but he was also God, that you, God the Father, gave us. And finally, the message, the gospel, the good news that you have given to us as well. And pray that hearts be changed for those who are listening and watching may see their need of a saviour. We pray for family and friends, Lord, that their eyes and hearts be opened to be received into your glory, now and forever, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the sermon title is The Book, The Man and the Message. God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Spirit are unified in carrying out the greatest plan that has ever been proclaimed. Before time and space existed, God stretched out his hand and spoke through the voice of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the moving of the Holy Spirit, he created all that can be seen and all that cannot be seen with the human eye. 
So the most important thing that we can gather from God's word is that salvation is of God. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12.2 states that. Now since Cain slew his brother Abel, we have seen this constant battle between biblical Christianity and religion. Multitudes of religions are based around the premise that your good works must outweigh your bad or that you must work for your salvation. But the Bible is littered with numerous and varied examples of individuals, races, creeds and cultures, all vying for a place in heaven without the shed blood of Christ. So it's a stern warning that God has put in place a plan that allows us to reach back to him that we may have salvation. So we see that God's word is inspired, it is unique, it is inerrant. Plus, we have the linking of two books becoming one, that being the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, in order to reinforce his word, the word became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus Christ revealing his identity, his prophecy of his coming, and his nature. But lastly, he brought with him the message of the echoes that still echoes today, which is through the gospel. Now, the trilogy of these three subjects combined make up the Bible in its entirety. Although God has chosen to reveal himself through these mediums, as in the book, you'll uncover the greatest of living history of God who seeks and finds his lost sheep to bring them home. So let's start with the book, the Bible. Genesis 1.1 states, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now the opening statement of the Bible is the greatest sentence ever penned. Anyone who's read it or heard it must come to the conclusion that it is God and not man who is the centre of the entire creation process. On the other hand, evolution states or reaffirms that we magically evolved by some form of cosmic accident and it was done by chance. Problem is though, it can't answer the reasons as to why we're here and what is our purpose in life. It is God who is the authority, although man likes to think that he's in control of worldly affairs and the destiny of it, he is not. So we're going to look at the inerrancy of God's word. Psalm 12.6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, our silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Seven being a number of God that he uses throughout the Bible. The Bible is a book that simply tells you the truth. Right from its opening statement in Genesis 1.1, if man can believe this, he shouldn't have any problems in relating to the rest of its contents. He may ask questions yeah, or, or not, be, not quite comprehend its material. Nevertheless, he is left with the decision to make regarding its author. The central figure of its contents being Jesus Christ and its message of love, hope, judgment and eternity. There are many Bible scholars who may or may not believe what it says However, the real nail in the coffin of its critics is the Bible's ability to predict with 100% accuracy and detailed account of events that have occurred or will occur. Now, author Charles Ryrie has stated 
that the Bible, not church history, is the standard against which all teachings must be measured. It's God's word that man will be judged against. If it had errors in it, then it wouldn't be justified measure of scale or justice. So that's why it has to be perfect, which it is. The Bible is unique in its authorship, penned over 1,600 years, spanning 60 generations, written by a peculiar range of men with varying degrees of occupations, such as fishermen, kings, prophets, statesmen, tax collector, rabbi, shepherds, a cupbearer, and a military general. All these men penned the Bible written under the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 20, 21 states, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Pastor and author David Cloud wrote in his definitive work in the Way of Life Encyclopedia, describes the unique structure of the Bible with two testaments or covenant agreements. He writes, Man through the Mosaic law for the preparation of the coming of the promised Messiah in Genesis 3, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament covenant is through the purchase by blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The chosen language that was used in the Old Testament was Hebrew and in the New Testament was penned in Greek until the entire Bible was transcribed later by Robert Stephanus in 1571 into the Greek language. So it's translated, but you have to understand that the English language itself is a combination of many languages. But Greek and Hebrew are very, very grammatically, very, very concise and precise. One more thing about the Bible. And we're looking at doctrine. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It'd be amiss not to mention doctrine in the Bible. The idea behind God giving us his word was to leave man with no doubt regarding his instructions. And we see from the scriptures that God instructs man as to what he is to adhere to, abstain from, what to practice and how to practice it. It's a book about faith and the practice of it. If we look at the man, Jesus Christ, we're going to look at his identity first. And it's found in 1 John 1 to 3. And it reads, In the beginning was the Word. And if we look at, I just want to pause here, if we go back and you look at Genesis 1, it states, In the beginning God. Therefore, the Word is God, and you're going to see how this all melds together. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All 
things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in order to rightly introduce Jesus Christ as the man, it must be firmly established to his identity. Jesus Christ was more than a historical figure in the Roman-occupied territory of Israel some 2,000 years ago. The above scripture gives you an introduction of the Gospel of John. It's a statement that leads to no other conclusion that Jesus Christ is eternal, he identifies himself as the creator of all things, and that he is God. He was before time and space. It's a direct correlation, as I said, to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. So it establishes him as being eternal and not brought forth from his father. From a physical bodily sense, as to his birth, he was, however, Jesus Christ. He's always existed because he cannot be anything but the promised saviour otherwise. The word was with God. This denotes locality and relationship to and as God, a triune being. And the word was God. This gives Jesus Christ his identity as God. We simply see from verse, from the verse 1 that God is eternal. The pages of his word are the central subject and theme are about him. And lastly, it supports by following statement in a verse, which two of them goes in to describe that he was from the beginning. Hebrews 13.8 reinforces this because it also underpins the notion of eternal being and constant, solid, unmovable character. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Sadly, today there are numerous misguided and heretical cults that claim that Jesus Christ was created as the Son of God. That he was never eternal and that he fulfilled a role that was simply a sacrifice for sin. But there's more to it than that. If we look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, how he came about upon this earth, it's one of the biggest stumbling blocks to Jew and Gentile. From a doctrinal perspective, the promised Messiah had to qualify both as a representative of God and man to carry out the duties of the Messiah, but also have a connection to the earthly to an earthly father. Sorry, to his heavenly father. As merely observing life from a physical standpoint, it's impossible for man to be born without a physical father. Yet Jesus Christ was born due to the act of the Holy Spirit, which is disclosed in the gospel. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35. But it also reconnects back to Genesis 3, where we see the promised Messiah, the gospel message confirmed that he will put enmity between thy seed and your seed. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Gospel of Matthew also confirms the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. 
The scriptures also relay this message that Jesus Christ came as a mediator. He had to represent both God and man in order to act as a go-between. That all parties are represented and to appease the wrath of God upon a sinful man. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. It's imperative that there are certain things that are non-negotiable concerning our faith and pertaining to Jesus Christ. It's summarized in the form of a statement of faith from the scriptures and it's found in 1 John 4.3. And it says, And every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And every spirit, sorry, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of the God, is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. We see at this moment in, in this time of history right now that our faith is being tested. We have doctrinal issues surrounding the rapture, around the tribulation. We should never take God's word or what Jesus Christ has said and twist it. He says what he means and means what he says. You have to read precept upon precept, line upon line, the Bible as it is written. It is a book that surrounds Jewish customs and life. It surrounds the holy city of Jerusalem. So to think of the United States or New Zealand or Asia or Britain, some of these countries may be mentioned in the Bible, but it centers around Jerusalem and what's happening there. And it's been said that if you want to know God's time peace, look at Israel. Now, there are a few problems that people have regarding Jesus Christ being both God and man. But there are some excellent points brought up in his word surrounding Jesus Christ as God and man. As God, he is worshipped in Matthew 2 2. He was called God in John 20 20. He was called the Son of God, Mark 1 1. He is prayed to in Acts 7.59. He is sinless, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. He knows all things, John 21.17. He gives eternal life, John 10.28. The fullness of deity dwells in him, Colossians 2.9. As a man, this is what Jesus Christ did. He worshipped the Father, John 17. He was called a man, Mark 15.39. He was called the Son of Man, John 9.35. He prayed to the Father, John 17. He was tempted like us, Matthew 4.1. He grew in wisdom, Luke 2.52. He died, Romans 5.8. He has a body of flesh and bones, Luke 2.24.39. Luke so we see that Jesus Christ could not have just been a man. He was more than just a man. He was God. God in the flesh. And we see so many 
different various points of view that if we go back and you look at the message of when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the people in authority tried to cover it up. They tried to pay off the soldiers. They said that spread rumours that his body had been taken by the disciples. But he, Jesus Christ, was seen by more than 500 people. And if you look at the expose of the disciples, before, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they fled. They went. And although John and Peter did go and try to find or stay close to the Lord, Peter denied him three times. But it was only until after he became, when he rose again, that Peter didn't have that fear anymore. Peter understood what was at stake. And so here you have Peter, very zealous, but when at time for the rubber to hit the road, when his faith was really tested, he cowered and said, I knew not the man. So it's very interesting to see how Jesus Christ is betrayed. He certainly was God and he certainly was man, the mediator. Now for the message. The message states, and it's from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, and I think in order to understand the gospel, this points it out so pertinent, so beautifully, so simply. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. You're going to see how this really binds and brings in the book, the man, and most importantly, the message that goes with that. By which you are also saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Paul stating, this is the truth, this is what I've preached. Are you willing to stand by what has been said? For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. We know the story that Jesus Christ said to Paul, why do you persecutest me? Why thou persecutest me, Paul? It was then Paul realized and understand, or understood of what he had done and what he was to do. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel message intertwines the book, the man, the message. It is a study of salvation. The word salvation translated from Greek is the word soteria. And it's based around the original word of sota, 
meaning saviour. Now the first four opening verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 reveal the message for mankind surrounding salvation and all that is done in the name of love. Jesus Christ was willing to go to great lengths. God was willing. God the Father was willing to go to great lengths to secure man's salvation for him. And at the same time, God is holy, just and righteous. The message includes a number of features that are the foundation of the Bible message. It is a personal love letter, the Bible, written to man concerning his condition and position before a holy God. Furthermore, God said in his word that his book would be preserved. Now, if God cannot lie, then his book has definitely been reserved without error or contradiction. Psalm 12.7 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The gospel of good news is that Jesus Christ, who is God, came to earth to make peace between God and man in order for man to have a, not only a relationship with him on earth as he lives, but to also enjoy eternal life with him in the future past death. Unless, of course, the rapture occurs in the meantime. And we can see things around the earth at the moment that are, are heading in that direction. The gospel message is critical to the saved and unsaved. To the saved, it's a clear and direct application of salvation to the heart that it declares that Jesus Christ died as the holy, acceptable sacrifice for their sins. It is because of this Paul stated that which ye have received and stand. All saved, truly born-again Christians are given the message and unmoved by any other means. To the unsaved, it puts to any rest of any self-righteousness that you have. He was the one who died. He was the one that was buried. He was the one that rose again according to the scriptures. And there starts a correlation between that book and the man. The message is crucial if man wants to have his sin dealt with. Sadly, too many people are happy to live life the way they want to. The message announces to man that you are saved by God's grace and not of yourself. It is a gift. It is the faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ that justifies a man before a holy God. That's why the message of the gospel has been under attack since way back in Genesis 3. Bible believers who truly study the scriptures see this attack upon the message. With Lucifer's subtle words, Yea, hath God said. Satan has always, always offered a counterfeit way to the true way. It could be through religious piety, self-effort, self-righteousness, through being raised in a Christian home or simply believing you're a good person. It'd be quite easy to live that way and and measure ourselves against others. But the problem is, 
Is he judged by that book, the Bible? And if you're seriously honest, measure yourself against Jesus Christ and you will see that you fall short. And that's exactly what sin is. It's missing the mark. Revealing the plan of salvation. Now there's numerous warnings pertaining to God's mercy and judgment upon sin. The book of Revelation is the closure of man's history, the revealing of Jesus Christ and his millennial kingdom to come into existence. Now ultimately, it is a dispensational occasion in time that awaits a man surrounding his choices and relationships with Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the summary and culmination of the God bringing forth and displaying his character and objectives in history. It is a time in history that God's truths are displayed and exhibited with power, might and righteousness. After the rapture takes place, there are a series of events that occur which points directly to God and not man as to who is in control and what must take place until mankind is judged, rewarded or sentenced. The message or the gospel that is known revolves around the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified, buried and risen again according to the Scriptures. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. We have on C in Revelation, on chapter 7 of Revelation, the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. As was in the case of, in the days of Ezekiel, whereby he had a vision of God's judgment upon the city of Jerusalem. And man with an inkhorn was to place a mark on the foreheads of all men who sigh and that cry for all the abominations that are being done in the midst thereof. The result of their preaching the gospel, the message of the gospel will see a large number of saved. So we see that we're going back to Jerusalem, we're going back to God's plan. He has not forgotten Israel. And the church has not replaced Israel. It is written that it's not changed by time, culture, or country when speaking about the gospel. It can't be changed. It can't be altered. We see in a lot of Western countries the prosperity gospel that says if you sow a seed in faith that God will prosper you. But how much is that fleshly of wanting to live a lifestyle that seems a little bit contradictory to what or how Jesus Christ lived. He was rich in mercy and grace and goodness and righteousness. But he made himself of someone who wasn't of highest. He, want, he didn't want to be seen as the saviour that would come in and want to kick the Roman Romans out and replace it with the theocracy and time and time again you see that Peter said to Jesus Christ not so I don't want this to happen 
But Jesus Christ said, get thee behind me, Satan. It was not the plan of Peter. It was the plan of God that had to be put into place. We see the man, Jesus Christ, again, the linchpin linchpin of the book and the message. He was perfect in all his ways. No guile was found in his mouth. Genesis recounts the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac turns to his father and says, this is in Genesis 22, We have the things necessary for the sacrifice, but who will be the sacrifice? Abraham responds by stating, God will provide the sacrifice. And so it is with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The same resurrected Jesus shall return at the discretion of God the Father. In the last days, Jesus gives all the readers of the Bible a stern warning in relation to false prophets and teachers. Watch and pray is what we are to do. The message, God's gospel or good news. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit sent to us by God, by His Son, that we can surely know of our condition and position towards a holy God. John 5.13 states, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. These three theological doctrines combining together as a conclusion were planned before time existed. It involved the three persons of the Godhead. It is held together by the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not change, neither does his plan, his book, his Son, nor his message. God himself staked his life, his reputation and character upon these three themes. The book, the man Jesus Christ, and the message are the God-centered foundation for faith and practice in true biblical Christianity. Not only are these things Bible-based, but they also reveal the very heart of God's revelation to man. Man has absolutely no excuse as to his salvation which is found only in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's imperative that the truth be known, spread and defended, as there are many types of false gospels and witnesses that are going about. Souls are at stake and eternal destinies are pivotal in the decision-making process found in the gospel. Man cannot save himself as demonstrated by these themes. God has said, your works are but filthy rags. In closing, it's time for sinners to come back to God through his son. It's time for sinners to come home. It's time to, if you're a saved Bible-believing Christian that's been born again by the Spirit of God, We pray, we watch, we read God's word. We lean into him. We have to be found 
doing his will. His will is that we not only read his word, we pray and worship, but we let others know. God has given us the greatest gift, that being Jesus Christ. But he's also given us his word. He says in the scriptures, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're seeing a time right now where things are starting to heat up a little. Especially in Australia and Western worlds, we do not or have not seen persecution. And there is a big difference between persecution and tribulation. The tribulation God talks about is upon the earth, hence the rapture has to happen. The church has to be taken out. It's often said that God would not, that Jesus Christ would not beat up his bride and bring her home. So we have to understand what these words say. Because ultimately we have to give an account to Jesus Christ. Lastly, if you're a sinner, and have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. You've just seen from the Bible, you've seen from various portions of Scripture as to who Jesus Christ is and what he'd done. You have witnesses of other people. And if Christianity is not true, why then, of all the religions, so to speak, of all faiths, why is it that Christianity is so hated? It seems that other religions are accepted and absorbed, but not true biblical Christianity. And the reason being is because it's the truth. People aren't willing to bow the knee. And that's sad because everyone will bow the knee. Sinners have to understand about repentance, understanding of doing things their own way, relying on their own self-righteousness or how good they are. But on the scales of justice, if it's measured against Christ, you are found wanting. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why God the Father gave us his Son. That's why he's given us this message to proclaim. When I was young, I actually tried to prove the Bible wrong because at the time there were so many different versions. But it was only until I got hold of the King James Bible, man could not have written that book. There is no way that man could write that book because man would not ever want to paint himself as someone that's bad or evil. So if you're a sinner, come to the Lord. Seek him may, may he, while he may be found. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But if you have Jesus Christ, we're guaranteed that he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I'm trying to remember the verse. I think it's in 2 Corinthians 2.9. 2, uh, 2.9 it says, I may be wrong. It says, 
eye has not seen, ear hath not heard, for those things that God has planned for those who love him. Job said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. May you be blessed by these words. May you sinners see the need of a saviour. May those of us who have faith continue to read and pray and watch. That we pray for those, especially our brothers and sisters around the world, who may be facing persecution right now. I'll close with a word of prayer and give thanks to God. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for those three topics, themes, messages around you, your book, your son, the message. We thank you, God, for the many blessings of knowing what is written in it. We thank you, Lord, for our life, but we thank you also for eternal life, which is only found through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May we continue to grow in the grace of you, Jesus Christ. May we continue to do your will, God the Father. We pray for those, Lord, in our family, our friends, who do not know you, that they may know you. Bring about circumstances. Give us appointments, divine appointments. All this is through you and by you. For you have said, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.